morning. Can I invite you to stand with me? We're going to read right away Mark chapter 8, and it will help us attend to his word. Mark 8, beginning verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Verse 11, the Pharisees came. And began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread, speaking of the disciples, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord for us today. You guys can take your seats. Amen. Have you ever been exasperated because someone doesn't understand you? I think the natural response, anytime we're not understood, even I'm a mumbler, I've been told I mumble. So if someone doesn't hear what I say, my first response is, why don't you understand me? You should. And maybe I elevate my voice, repeat it, try to speak a little more clearly when I'm thinking I'm already speaking quite clearly, thank you very much, whatever that is. It's a common human experience, isn't it? Don't we all want to be understood? Don't we all want to be known, to be seen, to be understood? Did you know that God wants to be understood? 
but he wants to be understood in a totally different way than we want. Our want is all self-focused. I want you to understand what I'm saying because it's frustrating to me if you don't. It's an imposition on me. I have to say what I'm saying again. I have to say it in a different way. I have to speak more clearly, whatever that is. But God wants to be understood because he loves us. Because his disposition is totally, completely, 100% focused on us. And that's what's happening in this passage today. And do you know how God is helping us to understand? He's repeating himself. Did you guys realize as we read these scriptures, we've heard these things before, haven't we? Just recently in our studies together in this book, just in Mark chapter 6, we saw multiplying of the bread and the fish, 5,000 plus being served. We saw it again here. We have seen arguments with the Pharisees. We're going to see it again here. We saw it again here. And then this interaction with the disciples, questioning, oriented around this, are you understanding? Are you understanding? This is what's happening here. He repeats himself, and God, in his kindness, does so. It's his kindness to us. So first, in this first section that we read, Jesus repeats his compassion on the crowd. In chapter 6, verse 34 through 44, which is the parallel, I'll just read a bit of it. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. It goes on. Jesus feels deeply for us, for these people. He feels deeply for them. They've been, look at the detail that the, the scripture gives to us. How much he sees them. He, they've been with me for three days. This is a desolate place. They're hungry. Some of them have come from a long way. Why does the scripture give us such detail? At least one answer is because God is seeing them. And by implication, family, he sees us. He sees us in detail. He sees where we are. He sees our condition. He sees the direction in which we're moving, the trajectory, and how we might feel about it. Some of them may faint along the way. Didn't get my expectation, but we're going to keep moving in the direction that God is leading us. Amen. Amen. But that is God's design for us, and he means for us to understand him. Beautiful how it specifically says, Jesus says, I have compassion. I cannot do these words justice. He sees us in detail. And he tells his disciples what's happening. And he involves them in the process of caring for this crowd. Yet again, how many loaves do you have? Seven, a few small fish. He sees us and he also involves us. He tells us what's going on. And he invites us to contribute. And one of the things I love, love, love about our church is that we do this from positions of weakness. What do we have? Seven loaves? Where are we meeting this Sunday? And here we are. And we expect God to move to show himself to us. And he does. 
can I encourage you, expect him to move in your interactions with one another. When you're just talking before a service, after service, over the week, when you someone put on your heart and you text them, it is God working through our weakness. What do I have? You, don't look at yourself. It's not about how many loaves or your capability. It's the fact that you are in the mix because it's God's design. It's part of how he shows compassion. It's part of how he's showing himself to, to one another. It's through one another. It's not a small thing. But of course, who's the one that made anything happen in this situation? Disciples bring their seven loaves. Yeah, Jesus is involving them, but who acts decisively and provides? Jesus, he is the bread of life. He is the one who provides. He absolutely provides. Seven loaves, no problem. Here's the bread. A few, few small fish, let's bless those. Pass those out as well. He provides he, and continues to act decisively. And, the, and Mark, true to form, is just staccato, just rips right through it. He provides, dismisses the crowd, off you go, into the boat, and out we go. It echoes much of what happened in chapter 6 when you look back to it. Because he had to dismiss the crowd. We, we know from the parallel passages in the other Gospels that they were ready to forcibly make him king. But Jesus said, no, that's not how you're going to understand me. He acts decisively, he provides, but then he dismisses them and he leaves. Secondly, Jesus repeats his rejection of the Pharisees in verses 11 through 13. So he repeats his compassion on the crowd, but here we get another encounter and the text helps us to not miss this because it says the Pharisees arrive to argue with him. So this is not, we're coming to try to understand you. Yeah, they're coming to understand on their own terms. They've got beef. They have issues. And their questions and their requests was like, show us a sign is an affront. The translation doesn't help us capture this as much. The, the word is really more they tempted him. They, they are essentially accosting him. If you are the Christ, prove it. I mean, that echoes what will happen later at the cross. If you're the Christ, Bring yourself down. He, it's the same thing. He, and of course, Jesus in his response, so this is again striking because it's not an accident. He felt deeply for the crowd. He felt compassion. Well, he feels deeply again here, but it's a groan. He sighed deeply in his spirit. Why? Because they're not understanding him. And not only are they not, they're not willing to. They're coming on their own terms and with their own grid in mind and their own screen. You validate yourself to us. Yeah, we heard about the bread. Right. Validate it. Give us something heavenly, unmistakable. That's not enough. Oh, family. What does Jesus do in response? He told them in no uncertain terms. When the scripture says, truly I say to you, this is an emphatic. You will not get what you are after because you are coming on these terms. It is easy for us to read the scripture and think, that's them, not me. Oh, let us take care. Is it? Do we not come with our own grids and frameworks and insistence that the Lord must meet us in such and such a way? So we should be sobered by these words. Let it not be our hearts, even unintentionally. And then, of course, Jesus just says, and again, Mark's very very quick with his passage, he just leaves them. He leaves them. And he goes on to this place. We don't know where it is, somewhere northwest of Galilee. 
Um, but the fact that he left them is a sign. It's a sign of judgment. Jesus leaving is a sign of judgment. It echoes a bit of what he instructed his disciples. You recall when he sent them out to do ministry, he said, if the town does not listen to you, if they're not receiving, shake the dust off your feet and go. So him leaving, oh, it's a sobering, sobering sign of his judgment. So Jesus repeated his compassion for the crowd. He repeats his rejection of these unbelieving Pharisees. And now thirdly, in verse 14 and on, he repeats his questions to his disciples. And remember, why is Jesus repeating all these things? Why is Mark's account of what is happening here so repetitive? Because God, in his compassion, is seeking understanding. He's helping us. So Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven is not a word we use commonly today. Does anybody know what leaven? I know Tom knows what leaven is. Tom works with that, and Dave would know what leaven is. Yeast. Leaven's yeast. And yeast is, well, I'm not a baker, but you put yeast in bread because it spreads. It permeates through the bread and helps it to rise. It's part of the fungal properties, and I don't know. I'll let the scientists work it out. But the point is, it is uh, something that will infiltrate and permeate. And the image of leaven was not unfamiliar to the Jews at this time. In fact, it was long present in their history. Many of the ladies have been going through outstanding Bible studies by Jen Wilkins together. I want to commend you if you can get involved somehow. But one they did a few months ago was in Exodus. And Jen Wilkins highlights that the image of leaven all the way back in thousands of years BC in the book of Exodus was a reference to the wickedness of Egypt that permeated their society. So when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, heads explode in this culture. Because these are the, not just Pharisees, and he said the Pharisees and the Herodians. So this is the religious and the political respected leadership of the day. Beware the leaven, the wickedness that permeates through the respected religious and political leadership. That's the force of the words. Whoa! Now they had just, I'm sure the disciples had heard the confrontation. They were coming to argue with him. Show us a sign. And he was referring to that. He's not just saying general wickedness. He's saying their sinful self-sufficiency to understand me on their terms. Beware that. Beware that you come with that kind of a heart or that kind of an attitude because what will happen to you, no sign will be given. <laughs> Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to understand him. And Jesus is warning his disciples, but true to form, and we carry on, they don't get it. It's amazing to me that after they collected seven baskets full of bread left over, they managed to only have one loaf with them in the boat for this next trip. How is that possible? Did you, and, and they start arguing about it, literally. They start, did you get, did you get, where's the bread we got? What's the deal? And of course they think he's talking about that. Okay, but he's not. And then we get these barrage of questions and it's not an accident. There are eight repeated questions by Jesus to them. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you hear a little bit of the exasperation? 
but I'm going to come back to that. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? This was not a rhetorical question because the text gives us the disciples' answer. And they remembered 12. And then to push his point, and the seven for the 4,000 just yesterday or whenever it was, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Seven, they say. What is the point? Is the point the math? No, the point is his overwhelming sufficiency. Not ours. His grid for things, not ours. The point is him, isn't it? The disciples are focused on whether or not they had a loaf, and they missed the one loaf with them in the boat. It's interesting to me, we talked about the leaven, but even more pronounced in this passage is bread. Did you see that? I mean, bread is just top to bottom, just throughout. What is the deal with bread? The Bible is full of images. It, it is a book of words, and is written in words, and we read it and perceive and exchange understanding based on words. But imagery is so profound in Scripture, and in particular, this imagery, not only of the leaven, but of bread, it really exemplifies how God intends for us to understand. So we need to embrace it. You know, for us, when we think of bread today, and we read over this, and this is why it's so helpful, when you come to Scripture, be careful that you don't interpret it in terms of your um, cultural context. Let's be honest. When we think of bread, the very first thing I thought of was that warm basket of free stuff you get at a decent restaurant. Uh, maybe you think of something else. Maybe it's your mom's homemade or whatever it is. I doubt that any of us think of bread as it is intended to be considered here. And in fact, as in the disciples in this culture would have understood it. And that is this. Absolutely essential sustenance for life. A shorthand way of saying the food you need to eat, the things you need to live for your survival. You don't have it, you don't carry on. That's what's intended. That's the imagery of bread. It is not a casual additional thing we eat. It is our very sustenance. We, we do get a little bit of this in our, in our culture because you talk about people, uh, you know, I'm the breadwinner in the family. There's these little things that do come through, these idioms that come through. Um, wow. Man shall not live by bread alone, says the scripture. But, but what? But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you see that Jesus is clearly, patiently, repeatedly, and insistently breaking down what the disciples expect of God? He's turning their minds and he's turning their hearts away from their systems and their boxes. And may he turn ours as well. Away from our systems and our grids and our boxes, however legitimate, however reasonable, to truly grasp who he is. To him, to turn from those things. Guys, we don't want to trust our boxes and our grids and our understanding. We want to trust him. That is not just a a little mental thing. It's a, it's a fundamental switch that we need his help. 
Because Jesus himself is the bread of life. John 6, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, gives life to the world. I am, says Jesus, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. What do you think is Jesus' demeanor, though, as he's asking these questions? There's a barrage. We have eight in a row. And again, this is another way in which when we come to Scripture, we can subtly import our own frameworks, our own understanding. And here's what I mean by this. If you already have a view of Jesus or of God as a judgmental father sitting at a distance, wagging his finger at you and waiting for you to get it right, then you will read this passage as questions that are just pointed at you, you failure, you wrong, you fool, you idiot. That is not what is being communicated here. Absolutely not, which is why I'm calling it out so clearly. Because make no mistake, don't apply that grid. We do because we, we anthropomorphize. It is our own. If, if, guys, if I'm him and they don't get it, I'm asking these questions, I'm like, come on, seriously. Twelve baskets, seven. Yeah, duh. You get it now? That's not what he's saying. And that's not the way he's saying it. Here's what I think's happening. Here's a, a better way to frame it. We all can get this. If you're a parent and you have a young child, I won't even say the age, and they need help, and they need to know that you've got them, but they don't even know what that looks like, right? Maybe it's they need to be safely cinched in their car seat in the car, but they don't want to get in the car seat. But you have to put them in the car seat. Maybe they're still crying because their knee is skinned and they just want that pain to go away, but you're holding them. Whatever it is, you're reaffirming, you're reassuring them. You're like, I'm going to tell you again and again, I'm here. Don't you remember? I picked you up last time. Don't you remember? It's an image of... This is how Jesus' demeanor is in asking the questions. It's like a father to a child. That's the imagery. Psalms gives us, Psalm 103 gives us this, the scriptural basis, I think, for making this, this conjecture. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is showing compassion to those who fear him. Jesus' barrage of questions here culminates in one final summary question, and it's the title for the message today in verse 21. Do you not yet understand? So I hope now, coming to this question and the focus for today, that we really grasp, he's asking that, and it's not a pointed, it's not a fault-finding but it is intended to help us as a father with compassion to his children who contend to be so focused on our own understandings, our own context, our own grids, our own expectations. Does he really see where I am? Does he really see what condition I am? What, what direction I'm going? Yes, he does, across the board. And he is moving, as he always has, taking initiative to come to us. And he's asking us now. He was asking his disciples then. And he's asking each of us now. Do you not yet understand?
Everything that Jesus has done and said to this point throughout the Gospel of Mark points to who he really is. But they still didn't get it. And let's be honest. Neither do we. You know, I read these stories and it's like, these disciples, these idiots. Like, and you don't want to identify with them. You want to like hold yourself up as more superior. That's not why the scripture is there. And we're missing it if we gloss over that. Same way that we were missing it if we gloss over the bit about the Pharisees. Do you not yet understand is a question for us now. And it's a kindness of the Lord to ask it. Think about how the disciples have consistently responded to Jesus here and so far in the gospel. Jesus is not just asking all these questions of disciples them. He's asking them of us now. We, just like them, can cling to our understanding and our expectations, especially when they're legitimate. We can cling to our own perception of what is good and what is possible and what isn't. Bread in this desolate place. He, he just did that. Didn't, don't you remember? But don't you see? The point of the scripture is the grid was so operative for them. It was, I don't think they didn't remember. They're just like, how are you going to do this, this desolate place? They're so focused on their own understanding. The Lord was standing right in front of them, doing these works right in front of them, and they didn't get it. How then much more are we liable to the same? misunderstanding. This is why I say, let us not move too quickly over. Do you not yet understand? We are all naturally tending to focus on the lack of bread, the desolate place, and miss the fact that Jesus is standing right here with us. Let me bring this out of theological top-level truth and bring it home, because for me, this is immediately operative, and it's no accident that the Lord coordinated that I prepare this message and get to share it while I'm struggling through a certain aspect of my life that is arguably partially dependent on my sustenance and survival, and that's my job. I'm waiting any day. I've been told by my boss I'll get a pink slip. I thought it might be January the 2nd, which is not a very nice New Year's present. It didn't happen. Maybe February at this point. I don't know. And I'm trusting the Lord. Okay, Lord, I know you have something for me. You know I have to have a job, right? <laughs> you, you know I need a means to pay bills, put my kids through school, live in Montgomery County, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I can't tell you, beginning of the week, it's pretty low. Because it doesn't matter how many lines you have out there in that water fishing, it doesn't equal eating. You know? And you, you, maybe your situation is not the same as mine, but do you, can you think of situations like this? And the reason I'm sharing it is because do you see... Guys, I'm no different than you. We're no different than you. We are all in this together. We, we abide by our own grids and understanding, and especially when it's legitimate. How are you going to provide bread for people like this in a desolate place? How are you going to provide a job for me right now? I don't know what the answer to that is. But my point, and the point of the passage, is for us not to focus on that, but on Him, because He's with us. That's the point. And that is operative, meaningful, practical encouragement for me. This is not just theology that doesn't work. It is what God intends for me. It's to understand that. You know what he intends for me more than getting a job? Knowing him. 
And I would have said that and know that, but because I'm walking through these circumstances, man, I'm getting a real picture of that. And praise God for that. You know, the better part to me would say, yes, praise God for that. And also, can I also? (laughs) But isn't it all the same for all of us? Whatever those circumstances are, whatever you're thinking of as I'm speaking, that's what it is. Listen, God has always taken the initiative to reveal himself to us. He is always clearly, compassionately pursuing us, knowing that we're frail, that we're fragile, that we're inclined to sinful self-sufficiency. Still, his very person, standing right in front of his disciples, spiritually standing right in front of us. We still need his help to see him, don't we? We still need his help to see him. And that's where the passage concludes. Let's read the last bit. Mark 8, 22 through 26. And in this passage, there are no less than nine references to him helping to see. And they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Again, as with the crowd in compassion, the Son of God is extraordinarily attentive to this man's location and condition, isn't he? Did you notice the man did not come himself? His friends brought him. What does that convey? Maybe he didn't really understand or his faith wasn't there. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. I don't know. He didn't take the initiative. Who took the initiative? Jesus says he takes him by the hand and leads him away from what? The village, which I think is a bit of a metaphor for conventional wisdom. Operative grids. Understand, let me take you out of there. Come with me. So personal. So beautiful. He's showing this man and he's showing the disciples who are watching, having just had this interaction, exactly what he's going to do for them both. I'm going to help you to see. I'm going to help you to see. For the first time in the passage that Eric will preach next week, the disciples are going to see who Jesus really is. It's going to come out, and it's no accident because Jesus is doing this work in their hearts and in their lives. He opens the eyes of this man. Why did the Savior of the world the God of the universe, have to lay his hands twice on a blind man. Why did he repeat that process? Is that next? This is the only time in all the Gospels that this, this miracle is described in this way. It's not an accident. Jesus is saying, it's not because he didn't work the first time. He's saying, I will help you. Did you see? No, it says that what he said, I see people walking, it looks like trees. So clearly it didn't work. He lays his hands on him again, and his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw clearly. I think that is an image. This is a, a parable miracle of him showing again, this is how I'm going to help you. I'm going to open your eyes. 
Ephesians 1.18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is the savior of the world who humbly, compassionately interacts with a man who is blind who didn't even take the initiative to come see him. Moves on him twice, lays his hands on him twice and by implication shows not only his disciples but us. I will help you see. I will help you see.